Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. If you're keeping track, episode number 154. We're live about 50 weeks a year. Delighted to be here. So today's topic, the buzz is banking. We have a lot to talk about. Let's get started. Triggered by the financial crisis and the subsequent regulatory changes, Banks are moving toward a new paradigm of what? They're simultaneously and proactively managing risk, return, liquidity, capital. That means there's a lot on their plate, a lot happening. Well, technology, that's what we're going to talk about. When technology is playing a transformative role in the banking industries, some of the regulators are scratching their heads, stroking their chins and saying, I don't think the banks are moving fast enough. A little laggard out there. We better figure out how we're going to get them to move faster and embrace what they are required to do. The question on the table is, are the regulators right? Are banks too slow in embracing this transformative technology-driven change? I have a panel of experts going to help us figure this out. First up on the panel is Richard Fleming. He's a partner in Bain and Company's New York office and a member of the Financial Service and Performance Improvement Practice. Richard sent me the following quote from Jane Goodall. Those of you who may be unfamiliar, she's an English primatologist. She's an ethologist, an anthropologist. I think that's her claim to fame and a UN messenger of peace. Here's the quote. Change happens by listening to people and then starting a dialogue with people who are doing something right, something they don't believe is right. Boy, I mixed that up. Richard Fleming, rescue me. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks, Bonnie. Talk to me about this quote. Starting a dialogue with people who are doing something they don't believe is right. That sounds kind of backwards. So what did Jane Goodall mean and how does this relate to our banking topic today, Richard? Well, I think if you look at financial services companies and you look at banks, there's a lot of lazy profits today. And if you were to you know, ask the bankers and ask them to really inspect what's taking place in banking, they might admit that you know, there are lazy profits. There are places where they're making money that is the money of um, 50 years ago. You know, take, for instance, foreign exchange where mm-hmm. we're charged high commissions for moving money across borders. And you know, many of them are trying to find out ways to reinvent the industry and to take out some of those lazy profits. And I think there are many people in the industry actually leaving and becoming the disruptors and identifying ways to, to change how banking is done and attack some of these lazy profits. And so um, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are saying um, something isn't right here and trying to find an alternative path. Thank you very much, Richard. Good start to our topic. Let's bring on our second panelist. It's Mike Pinedo. He's really Michael, but he told me I could call him Mike because we're such good friends. He's the Julius Schlesinger Professor of Operations Management in the Department of Information Operations and Management Sciences at the Stern School of Business at NYU. That's New York University. And here's a quote out of his own words. It's the future challenges for banking will involve determining the trade-offs between ease of use for the banking customer and how to maintain a high level of security and privacy. That's what it's really all about as far as the consumer is concerned, isn't it, Mike Pinedo? Welcome. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Thanks for joining me. So talk to me. Talk to me about this interesting quote. 
Well, it's, you know, in the banking industry, we have a lot of, uh, there are always continuously new and more complicated products coming out, and also different products are going to be connected with each other, uh, and, uh, and, and they are related to each other, because the, the banks want the entire wallet of the customer, each bank wants that, so they want to connect products, new products, and uh, all their products have to be connected to each other, and it has to be very easy to use. So we have the mobile technology coming in, et cetera, et cetera. Now, those advances in technology, and we are talking about hardware as well as software because of all the new demands that the, that the market is, is asking for, all those advances in technology, there is an arms race going on with the people that develop that technology and the uh, and the hackers, uh, because mm-hmm. uh, they want to be able, especially when you have a lot of products that are really closely connected to each other and wired to, to, together, that makes systems more vulnerable. So our security efforts have to increase uh, because the hackers become more sophisticated. And that arms race, the banks have to be very well aware that they always should stay ahead of it. So introduction of new products have to be done very, very carefully, always keeping that in mind. That sounds like a delicate balancing act, Mike. Am I right? Yes, it's a very delicate balancing act. And new products should be uh, introduced or new uh, facilities should be introduced slowly just to see what's, uh, what's, how the vulnerabilities are. They're not, not just vulnerabilities because of hackers, there are actually vulnerabilities. Think about even in the high-frequency trading. There are vulnerabilities that are even not well understood because of hurt behavior of customers. And we can get a flash crash that is not even due to, to a mechanical or a, a failure in the design of hardware or software. It's... Um, it may be a failure in our understanding of the behavior of masses of customers. How are they behaving together? And before we really, because we don't understand that yet very, very well, especially, for example, in high-frequency trading, uh, we want to actually move a little bit slowly there just to understand our processes a little bit better. Thank you very much, Mike. Great, great information adding on to what Richard started us off with. This is going to be a great discussion. Let's add our third panelist. It's Don Trotta. He's a senior vice president and global head of banking industry development at SAP. And I have a combo quote here from Don, so bear with me. Here's a quote from Mario Andretti, those of you who know don't know. He's a retired Italian-American world champion racing driver, one of the most successful Americans in the history of race driving sport. Here's the quote. If everything seems under control, you're not going fast enough. And then Don Trotta adds, if regulators are now moving faster than banks, that's a game changer. Don Trotta, welcome. How are you today? Very good, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Talk to me. Yeah, well, I love this quote, uh, the Mario Andretti one, because uh, if you believe it, you have everything under control these days, uh, you better think again, because you're likely not moving fast enough. And so, and so for me, it was a good one for the situation I think banks are facing, given the speed things are changing all around them. You know, and we know that technology is changing just about everything in banking, but, but we did a recent survey actually with Michael in the NYU Stern Business School, the Frankfurt mm-hmm. School of Finance, 
and some others. And what we found out is almost 80% of the participants told us they expect the greatest impacts for them will be in two areas, really, meeting the legal and regulatory compliance demands that we just spoke about and staying relevant with customers in this new digital and mobile world that they're competing in. So uh, what was really interesting to learn is, as I said in the second part of the quote, is that uh, on the regulatory uh, compliance side of that, regulators are definitely now saying that banks are moving too slowly. Uh, this is a sea change, I think, because bank regulators, are, you know, they're not really known for moving very quickly themselves, and, and at least up until now, they haven't really mm-hmm. driven the banks to move very quickly either. You know, the wheels of regulatory change in banking, uh, you know, grind pretty slowly. But that seems to all have changed now. And so that's, that's the first big thing we learned. And then the second one is that banks, and all of this is happening in the same time, at the same time, need to figure out how to stay relevant to customers in this new digital, mobile, real-time world uh, that they're living in now. You know, and most of the banks, of course, are trying to provide the latest digital banking services to their customers. But in a way, you know, technology is kind of a dual-edged sword for banks because at the same time, you know, there's growing competition from the newer, much more high-tech savvy consumer services companies. And these are companies that have grown up in the digital world and who already have a lot of highly relevant relationships to the daily digital, mobile, real-time life of today's consumers. And these guys are using the same technology to enter the banking world. They may not want to become banks. In fact, I don't think they do want to become banks as we know them, but they definitely intend to be in the banking business. So this is another wake-up call, I think, for the banks uh, with new entrants like Apple, Google, Facebook, out to eat their lunch. So there's a need for a whole lot of change quickly, and for banks historically, that hasn't been a strong point for them. So it will be a challenge. Thank you very much, Don. All great points. I have a question for you. Are banks feeling threatened by what you mentioned, the the many new entrants who get the digital world, get the social world, get the mobile world? They're cutting their teeth on this technology and social mobile, and they know where the consumers are coming from. Are banks under siege? Let's just be blunt about it. What do you see? Yeah, I think they do think that, uh, but I think also there's been a little bit of a change and a shift recently. And rather than uh, kind of uh, trying to compete head on, there's a lot more of uh, cooperation and trying to co-opt the new startup innovators to come and become their, the bank's uh, uh, innovation arm. I think they've come to the realization that they're probably not going to be able to replicate that from within. And so mm-hmm. we've seen a number of banks start their own sort of innovation startup labs, inviting small startup, agile new companies in to, uh, to, so they can learn from them. Interesting. Richard Fleming, you went first. I want to bring you into before we go to what's in your cup, you know, our coffee break segment. Richard, I was wondering if you have any comments on what Mike added or Don added. Some interesting points here. I think uh, Don's absolutely right. I think banks are recognizing that there are disruptors at the gate, um, but they recognize that in many ways they need to embrace these disruptions by cooperating with outside parties, and they are structuring mechanisms to to innovate and mechanisms to embrace change that's coming from you know, outside of the bank. And, uh, you know, that this, the pace of innovation is only picking up um, and, uh, and banks are having to embrace that. So I think there is a recognition of change. The difficulty for you know, most bank executives is that, you know, when you have old 1963, 1970 mainframe technology, when you have um, significant regulatory uh, and compliance burdens placed on you 
when you have the quarterly earnings targets of, of Wall Street, you really need to um, – it, it's, it's difficult to embrace change and to, to innovate within that model. Uh, and they've got to find ways to, to innovate you know, outside of that model um, or, or alongside that model. Thank you, Richard. Guess what? We're going to go to our What's in Your Cup Today segment. And you know, tell me something interesting you're drinking now or what do you wish you were drinking after the show, Richard Fleming. Uh, you're in New York today, Richard? I am indeed. And I'm in New York. I'm on Long Island. And I'm looking out at a magnificently sunny day, blue skies, a little windy. The trees are just lilting back and forth. Uh, I assume you're having the same weather. You're probably about 30 minutes away from me, yes? I do. I do. I've got a wonderful day out, out of the window. Beautiful. So tell me, what are you drinking? Bonnie, I, I live in New York, and I, I, I love a flat white, which is a drink that is not very well known to, to New York. It's a coffee that comes from Australia. And so I spend my time searching New York trying to find a flat white, and I found a few people who will make one for me now. Um, <laughs> it looks a little bit like a cappuccino, but it's not quite the same. And um, you know, I was standing in the queue this morning trying to get my, my coffee for, for the morning on my way to to work before getting on the subway. And uh, interestingly, the person in front of me was doing their banking in the queue. I thought it was a, a great illustration of how the world is changing. This person was, I think, transferring some money to somebody while they stood in the queue waiting for their coffee. I love that. Now tell me, if you had to give me the recipe for flat white, you said it's similar to cappuccino. What is the difference? Is there a little nuance in the recipe or in the proportions, the ingredients? What, what should we know? Yeah, it's very similar. It's just probably a little less frothy than a, than a typical cappuccino. A little bit Got more coffee, it. a little less milk, a little less froth. It's delicious, it. but it's done well. I think we're on the right track. I had a fabulous cappuccino yesterday. It was decaf, but it was just just perfect, hit the spot. So I'm there with you. Thank you, Richard Fleming. Mike Pinedo, where are you calling from today? And also from New York. Well, glad to hear that. So we, we got three out of four here. We can't wait to talk to Don. But, Mike, what are you drinking today, or what are you going to drink after the show? Uh, well, it's uh, like most of you, it's a cappuccino. And let me tell you, there is something that I want to share with you about drinking coffee, because there is also some trade-offs, how many cups and at what times every day should you drink your cup or your, your number of cups of coffee a day. And the trade-off comes in here because uh, you know probably that people that drink coffee live longer than people that do not drink coffee. There seems to be, it's, uh, and also your probability of uh, getting later on Alzheimer, it's, uh, it's getting a little bit lower if you drink coffee. So there is some incentive to drink coffee. At the other hand, we have all the negative effects, just like in the banking. You have the positives mm-hmm. and the negatives. The negatives are that it's irritating on the throat, and once in a while you have to go to the restroom, et cetera, et cetera, maybe in the evening. So now the question very for every person for every person would be how many cups would you drink, and at what time? <laughs> or maybe actually be the only. Uh, I found for me that I can drink only two to three cups of caffeinated coffee a day, so cappuccino okay. actually. And uh, after 2 o'clock, I have to switch over to maybe one decaf. I will allow myself one more decaf. That's an optimization problem, and you can ask it to a doctor. Uh, I have not found, I don't know yet if this is optimal for me. I'm experimenting. 
I love this. Thank you so much for sharing. I was going to tell you that uh, they don't allow me, Bonnie, to have caffeine on radio show days. But you know something? I'm going to have a couple cups of full, I call it high-test coffee, after the show in honor of what you just told me. I want to live a lot longer. Thank you, Mike Pinedo. And Don Trotta, first of all, we have to know, where are you calling from today, Don? We'll make it four out of four. Yay! New York City, down on the uh, uh, lower uh, West Village looking out at the river. I don't think we've ever had a full house of New Yorkers. This is very exciting for some reason. It matters to me. So, Don, what are you drinking? You know what's in my uh, cup this morning? Well, I'm actually on the other side of things. I've been drinking a lot of Red Bull these days. And so a lot, lot more caffeine uh, than, than some of the coffees. And, and with all of the change that's going on, you know, in, in the world of banking and technology, I, I don't think there's a day that goes by without something important in the news. So I, I want to you know, stay wide awake, on my toes. Uh, life in this business uh, moves pretty fast, so I don't want to miss anything. Thank you very much. Red Bull, you know, I, I, uh, I live in Great Neck on Long Island on the North Shore. You're probably familiar with where I am, and I was going to get something at a convenience store, and I asked one of my doormen that night, can I get you anything when I go across the street? And he said, Red Bull, first time I've ever had to buy one. Well, there were so many choices, Don. I had to call him on my cell phone from across the street and said, is it the silver? Is it the red? Is it the blue? You want the case? What am I going to get with your $3? And he said, ah, just give me the silver. Then he drank it, and he, he called me, and he said, I'm usually drinking another variety. How many kinds are there, Don? Is there a, a difference? Do you have a preference? Well, it seems like they introduced new ones. Uh, I, I kind of stick with the sugar-free one because uh, I can use less sugar, but I'm sure it's more powerful when you go with the sugar. I think so. Well, that's what we're going to use to power us today. Guess what? We're going to take a break. My panel has earned it. We're speaking today with Richard Fleming at Bain and Company in New York, Mike Pinedo at NYU at the Stern School of Business in New York, Don Trotta at... SAP in New York, and I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I'm in New York as well. This is a, a quadruple header. I've never had this before. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Our topic today, very important one, banks embracing technology. Are they doing it fast enough? Are the regulators going to be happy? And what is this balance banks are seeking between survival with new technology and keeping the customers coming through their door? We have a lot more to talk about right after the break. Well, we will start our roundtable, 30 minutes nonstop. So put your seatbelts on. And for right now, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you 
You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Thanks for sticking with us. We're about to start our roundtable. I think we're going to go almost 30 minutes. We're going to kick it off with Richard Fleming at Bain & Company's New York office. And, Richard, you sent me some very interesting talking points before the show. I'm going to read a couple, and then we'll dive in. Richard says, customer experience is the north star of the banking transformation. Wow, is that packed with a lot of information. And then he adds, outsiders to banking, like Apple, are creating better experiences for customers that will allow them to attack what we call the lazy profits of banks. Richard Fleming, let's dive in and start the roundtable, please. Sure. Well, I think the, the challenge here is that banks have traditionally thought about technology as a mechanism to improve internal processes, to largely take out uh, costs from their existing service operations. And that's changing now, and banks are sort of pushing a little bit further, and they're saying, how do I take my banking experience of today, and how do I apply technology to it to do it a little bit better? Um, the, the difficulty for banks is that you know, the outside world of technology is actually taking a very different perspective, and they're using new technology like uh, mobile phones and the social networking capabilities of phones and the Internet to really rethink how customer experiences work. So take you know, a company like Uber, which is completely reinventing how mm-hmm. we think about transport and catching a, a cab in a city. It's a, it's a reinvention of the experience of doing something that we're very used to. You don't have to pay at the end of the journey. You get to rate the driver. The driver gets to rate you. It's just a very different way of thinking about the experience of, of, uh, of something that we're very used to today. And I think actually what's ta- starting to happen in financial services, and the Apple Pay example would be a good one, is that financial services disruptors are finding very new ways of offering traditional experiences and ways that are much better for, for consumers. As they do it, they are beginning to eat into you know, the lazy profits of, of banking by mm-hmm. making the experience better, by being able to monetize that, and in many ways making the system you know, a lot more efficient to, as they do so. So I think this is you know, the place that banks and bank executives need to start is to think about what are the experiences that I'm going to be known for and how am I going to begin to reinvent that experience? How am I going to bring in other participants to help me in reinvent that experience and to deliver that experience for, for customers. Thank you, Richard. I have a question for you before we invite Mike Pineda and Don Trotta to join in. My question is demographics. Who is this customer? Are we talking young millennials? Are we talking boomers who are climbing on that social mobile bandwagon and saying, yeah, I just got the iPhone XXX and I love it and I'm going to do my banking while I'm walking around? Who is it? Or somebody in the, the middle age range, and I mean, I use that in a broad term, not specifically middle age, in between millennials and boomers. Richard, who are the banks supposed to be catering to now? Well, I think certainly millennials are adopting digital technology fast, uh, and we mm-hmm. can see that. You know, you can just watch the, the way that millennials use technology. But I think it's a, a mistake to think that it's just millennials. Uh, I was having breakfast with my mother this morning who's in New York. She's done a trip around the U.S., 
and she stayed in Airbnb homes uh, and, and lodgings across her whole trip. My mum's 70, and she's really embraced what Airbnb can do for her. She's embraced a new set of digital technology because of the experience that it can give her. She was raving about it. So you know, I think it's a misnomer to think this is just millennials. I think there are people across all age groups that are adopting digital technology, and they're adopting it uh, probably faster than the uh, incumbent institutions are um, adopting uh, that technology. Thank you, Richard. Good start. Mike Panetta, join in. Thoughts on this North Star concept? Talk to me. Um, yeah, I think the banks are going to get a lot more competition from those new type of companies. I think that credit cards have gotten a lot of uh, their growth. I still think credit cards are growing, but uh, there is a dent in their growth because of com- uh, companies like PayPal and uh, Apple Pay. Uh, people are going to pay uh, in a different way than just credit cards. Not, I don't think that credit cards are going to disappear uh, because there's still some advantages that they have from the bank side as well as from the consumer side because you get some protection and uh, the bank, uh, as a consumer, you have at least with the legal uh, the legalities in this country, you have some protection when you have bought something. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, from the bank side, there is a, maybe a closer contact with the customer through the credit card. So there, uh, but the banks for sure are noticing that, hey, listen, business is not growing as fast as they used to be, and not only they are growing as fast, the margins that they used to have, and when we were talking before about lazy profits in the credit card mm-hmm. business, there were enormous amounts of lazy profits. That, that business was amazing, uh, how much profit it was generating. Now there is so much competition uh, internally in the credit card business and also the outside, the new ways of payments, that the margins, uh, the margins are going to be not the way they were 10 years ago. The margins are a lot tighter. Thank you, Mike. Don Trotta, join us. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree completely about this customer experience being uh, what everybody is, uh, is striving uh, to create. But quite frankly, it's being defined by the high-tech uh, uh, consumer services companies that we've mentioned, the Apples, the Googles, the Facebooks, not really by banks. I don't know anybody who wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I have to sign on to my bank to see what's happening in the world. So, so it's, it, it's, it's, I know this is a real big battleground for, for banks to become relevant and stay relevant uh, with their customers. And, and, and uh, I've been some, uh, probably, I don't know, 25 years in the banking business now, and we've been talking about being customer-centric. And I think uh, this, this, this experience question really comes to what does it mean to be customer-centric in this new digital, real-time, mobile world. It's, it's, you know, it's not what, what it was just a few years ago. And so I think redefining that and really defining it to be, how can I make customers successful in their financial life, which is a, you know, a very different concept than how many products will you buy from me. Um, and and so, so this, this whole notion of bringing together uh, you know, uh, what it means to be customer-centric in this world. And, and, and I think that that's a key one, and we're seeing a lot of banks uh, uh, wanting to try and, 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 and do that with, 
things like personal financial management, uh, budgeting, financial education, all of those kinds of things to help people become more successful. If that's their mission in life, I think that that makes them a lot more relevant in a space that the others can't be at this point. And about the lazy profits, I agree as well. I mean, I think what we're seeing is the new entrants are cherry-picking the things that they would like to do mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not doing, not actually being a bank. And so what it will leave the banks with in the end if they lose all of those, you know, kind of contacts with the customer and doing things that are, you know, uh, that are profitable in, 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 in servicing customers in their everyday life, they'll be left with the commodity back-end regula- regulated low-margin business, and that's a, that's a huge threat for them. Wow. Don, it sounds like when you say cherry picking that they're they're trying to just simply enter as niche players. Is that an accurate description? I think I think in some ways, yes. I don't think anybody's uh, at these companies saying, oh, well, I would like to become a regulated bank these days. And so how can they, you know, and, and this is something that's interesting. We met with one of the largest uh, banks in, in Spain, a very famous one for uh, technology in particular. And the CEO said to us, you know, in five years, I know... I'm going to still be in banking, but I don't know if I will still be a bank. Ah, pretty interesting interesting way to think about it. Very interesting. We talked about technology being part of this this transformation of the banking paradigm. Good point. I just have to tell the audience that, Don, you've held senior roles such as the CIO and CTO, Chief Technology Officer, for financial institutions including Barclays, Citigroup, and Chase Manhattan. So you saw saw this in the trenches. What year was that your last uh, bank role? Yeah, I joined. Uh, bankroll. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry I, about I, that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have a bankroll too. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> no, I joined uh, SAP uh, from from Barclays uh, in 2009, the end of 2009. So I've been here just about five years now, kind of looking at things from the other side of the table, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Thank you so much for that. I'm going to move this in a slightly different direction, pick up on a a little bit of a thread we just introduced in the conversation, and I'm looking at some notes from Mike Pinedo at NYU Stern School of Business. Mike says, financial products are consistently becoming more complex, and thus the technology is also steadily increasing in complexity. Let's talk about this a little. Somebody mentioned it. It might have been uh, Mike or Don, but let's dive deeper into this. So, what is happening with this complexity? Can the banks keep up? Is the technology going to swallow itself whole? Is it going to be successful? Is it going to have too many loopholes for hackers? Give us a little insight, please, Mike Pinedo. Well, with uh, products that um, uh, even consumer products like mortgages, loans, etc., etc., uh, the banks try to customize their products more and more to the consumers. So the typical financial product usually has a lot more bells and whistles than it had in the past. Uh, whether it's in brokerage, even uh, an FX derivative, uh, the, the amount of bells and whistles that an FX derivative can have, it's, it's amazing. And uh, so it can, even a derivative, to actually characterize a derivative, you may need even up to 100 parameters. So you can imagine the software that you have to develop uh, uh, just and the, and the algorithms that you have to develop to compute all the necessary pricing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There is an enormous amount of uh, software development that's going uh, going on, and well, that that software will have bugs. 
And bugs, it's always, bugs will always be there. Hopefully they never will appear, but of course once in a while they appear uh, very often at the least appropriate time Mm -hmm. and the least expected time. And that makes it, um, that makes new product development actually very tough. And it makes, first of all, the bugs that actually can give you wrong prices and can give you wrong results, and you. So this is even without, without hackers, without uh, mm-hmm. worrying about any Chinese walls that you should build. Uh, that could already be a problem. That you may make mistakes there, and then you have the additional mistakes that your products may, because they have become so cumbersome, are not very well protected from outside intruders. Thank you, Mike. Don Trotta, thoughts on this? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things going on, and, and, and uh, one of which, of course, is what Mike has referred to in terms of the world of capital markets and uh, financial, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, you know, high-tech t- high financial uh, businesses like that, you know, whether it's derivatives, trading, um, FX, all of these kinds of things. Uh, we've read about it. I think there's been some some interesting books re- uh, written. Uh, uh, Flash Boys, I think, was the one I, uh, that came out most recently mm-hmm. that talked about uh, yep. you know the high frequency trading and 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 all of those kinds yep. of things. So I think there's a lot of complexity in that world, and I agree totally. And I think uh, it's attracting a lot of uh, legal regulatory uh, scrutiny as well. So we always talk about the uh, innovation in financial products that uh, has been born but i think uh, the uh, the last uh, you know th- this financial crisis has has caused people to look at that a bit more differently on the on the other side of things uh is what we think about is sort of around the standardization and industrialization of banking so in many other industries they've gone through the cycle of of you know moving toward more industrialized more standardized software to take out cost complexity and, and you know, drive uh, quality and, and uh, simplicity into what they're doing. So, so what we see a lot of banks doing, and what we think is, is, is probably the right direction, is to industrialize and standardize, let's call it on the back end, and then differentiate with customers on the front end. And this, you know, and, and, and I think when you, when you think about cloud computing as coming now and, and making a big, uh, you know, kind of uh, inroads in, in all industries, particularly now in financial services, you're not going to be able to take your customized, we call it your mess for less, and mm-hmm. put, it, put it up in the mm-hmm. cloud. You need to, you know, the cloud is going to be driving even more, uh, you know, standardization and industrialization, uh, particularly in, in the back end, and make it, making it simple rather than complex. Thank you, Don. And I just want to give a reference here. You mentioned Flash Boys. I've just looked it up. I I heard about it and and heard the uh, interviews. It came out in March 2014. The author is Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis. American, right? And uh, let's see, four years after his number one bestseller, The Big Short, Michael Lewis returns to Wall Street to report on a high-tech predator stalking the equity markets. It's about a small group of Wall Street guys who figure out that the U.S. stock market has been rigged for the benefit of insiders and that post-financial crisis, the market Market have be, markets have become not more free but less and controlled by the big Wall Street banks, and I'll let, leave it at that. So thank you for that reference. Very interesting book. Richard Fleming, why don't you chime in on this conversation? We started with Mike Pinedo and the Don Trotta has already commented on. Join us. I tend to agree with, with Don, actually. I think there is this barbell, if you like, with products. There's obviously 
in capital markets, a continuing innovation of product, which perhaps creates some complexity. But in the space for consumers, I actually think there is a simplification that's taking place, and maybe that's an industrialization too of product. I think that the mindset shift needs to be one of thinking about what customers' needs are of banks rather than what the underlying product is. And you know, the customer needs haven't really changed, although technology is enabling better experiences. You know, I still want to manage my money and my cash flow. I still want to buy a home or buy a car. I want to protect my family. I want to save for things. Those are the needs of customers. And I think increasingly banks need to think about how their products enable people to actually meet those needs and how they serve customers across a, a longer value chain, if you like, or a, a longer journey in buying a home, for instance. So CBA in Australia have done a very nice job of helping customers actually research their home, understand what they can buy and where they might want to live, rather than just providing them with a mortgage. So I think there's a, there's a shift that needs to take place in just the mindset of, of product and start to think more about customers and, and what they're trying to do. That's the direction we're talking about. Thank you so much, Richard. Don Trotta. I want to start a new thread, but I'm going to just turn it over to you because I'd like to know about some of the highlights of the banking study that you did, you said, with uh, Mike Pineda's area at NYU Stern School of Business. When was the study done? Just bring us back to to the reality check of when was it done? What's the title of it? And give us some of the highlights, and then we will have Mike and Richard chime in as well. Go ahead, Don. Yeah, well, the study was released, I think, in July of this year. It took uh, probably the better part of a year to uh, to conduct the study is called The Benefits of Innovation, uh, Innovative Tech, uh, Information Technology in the Banking Industry. It, as I said, it was conducted jointly with the Frankfurt School of Finance, the NYU Stern Business School, and the Business Transformation Academy in Basel, Switzerland, along with ourselves, SAP. And uh, we, we, we took two, uh, two sort of cuts at uh, this study, one of which was around the whole legal regulatory compliance area that uh, we've been talking about. And the second one is what are the more, uh, you know, kind of uh, technology innovation trends that the banks are seeing. And so uh, this is where we came up with the, uh, you know, the, the insight that uh, for the first time uh, it looks like uh, uh, regulators are thinking banks are moving too slowly. And for instance, the regulators said they expect banks to reduce the time frame for reporting, regulatory reporting, from what's now many days or weeks to just one day. And in some cases, uh, like reporting on liquidity risk positions, for instance, the regulations are calling for same-day reporting. And so uh, <laughs> this is a big change. And, and someone, uh, it was, uh, Richard mentioned, you know, banks are using 30-year-old, very complex, hard-to-change, batch, not real-time banking and reporting systems, and they have these in place. And it will be quite challenging to get from where they are today to where they need to be. And many of the banks, what we also found is that the banks that they plan to increase their budget for IT to meet the new requirements, uh, more than 60% said they were expect to increase the IT budget by something like 25%, at least 25% in the next three years. So, so uh, uh, it's, it's not that banks are not making investments. In fact, when we talk to uh, CIOs, and that's part of my role is to go around the world talking to uh, the CIOs at, uh, at our banking customers, they say that something like 60% of up to uh, 60% of what we call the change the bank 
spend. So you have each year you're spending money, and part of it is to run the bank, keep the operation going, and the other part is to change the bank. And they're saying that the change the bank spend on legal, regulatory, and risk management uh, demands is is eating up 60% of that budget. And that that's by the way that's a big change. You, you mentioned that I had been. In the, in the, on the other side of the industry, mm-hmm. we never spent that kind of money. Maybe that is a problem. We should have, but uh, <laughs> but we never did uh, allocate that much uh, to uh, these kinds of uh, uh, changes, and and so uh, that squeezes out room for innovation with customers in the new digital world, in the things that make a difference with customers, uh, and so uh, this is you know this is an area where. You know, we want to kind of try and find ways to kind of shift the mix from you know, spending so much on running the bank because of all the cost and complexity and fixed cost and complexity that's built up over the years to uh, innovation and, and move that spending. We don't think banks are going to stop spending a lot of money on, on IT. In fact, bank, mm-hmm. banking and financial services is probably the largest uh, uh, of any industry in terms of spend, uh, IT spend, that's probably not going to change. But what they're spending it on uh, and shifting it from running the bank to changing the bank and innovating is, is where we uh, think the opportunity is. Thank you, Don. I have a question for you. In banking today, banking, banking, bank banking, I'm talking about the banks, mm-hmm. whose responsibility is it to look at a study such as the one you just described and say, we need a chief visionary officer to say, how the heck are we going to still be around doing what we do in five years, 10 years, 20 years? We better get with the program. We better get the technology. We better look at the new consumer experience. We have a lot of work to do rather than, oh, well, the regulators are pushing our buttons. We got to do this. Who's the one who's going to catapult, catapult the bank in terms of the culture to say, yes, we have to embrace this? Is there one person currently in the bank leadership team you would focus on, Don? You know, it's a great question, and what we, our experience has been that uh, these kinds of transformations, because really what it is, it's, it's yes, it's it's technology innovation and uh, making big investment in that, but it's really changing the operating model of the mm-hmm. bank. And so when you when you when you do that, you, you you can only get the sponsorship from that from the board, and 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 the CEO and and the heads of the business. This is not something that a CIO can say. Hey, I think I would like to change our core banking system, or you know, <laughs> you know, because it, it just has such a rippling effect for the entire business. Because it's not just your technology; it's your business process and your operating model. So we find the most successful um, transformation, bank transformations, take place when the board is the sponsor. Thank you very much. Appreciate that insight, Richard Fleming. You want to comment on some of the highlights of the study Don just selected? Yeah, I think it's um, we we need to sort of reflect on what regulators are demanding. I think it's you know fairly obvious that they're going to demand better and faster reporting of you know, the regulated entity of of the banks. I mean things like liquidity positions. That's only totally natural, and they should have you know expectations of what that technology is going to do, particularly given the the crisis that we had uh, in 2008. I think the other side of the coin, though, is you know, how regulators and how banks are dealing with the disruptive changes that are taking place to the way people are consuming financial services. And you know, again, if we go back to businesses like Uber and Airbnb, you know, they're offering very different uh, services into the marketplace 
And you know, the way they offer those services are challenging the regulator. They're challenging the regulation of taxi cabs and taxi cab licenses, the regulation of hotel and hotel licenses. There's a, you know, there's a need for, for regulators to catch up with the innovations that are taking place uh, in, uh, in many industries now as a result of technology. I don't think that's any different for, uh, for financial services. There's going, to be, uh, there's going to be changes in the way that payments are offered um, you know, within borders and across borders. Uh, these, there's the issue in, in the U.S. of just the, the need for more real-time payment at the moment. Uh, the payments infrastructure of, of the U.S. is you know, far behind many other uh, markets. And what's the reg- role of the regulator in actually uh, shifting the industry in the, in the right direction to, to a better um, outcome for consumers, but also just you know, managing the, um, uh, the, the change in regulation uh, as it has to catch up with technology and what's uh, enabled by technology. And so you know, there's going to be this ongoing tension between regulators uh, and banks uh, in, uh, in the area of technology and enablement by technology. Thank you, Richard. Mike Pinedo, just before we go to break in the next 90 seconds, why don't you chime in on the study, on the, the points that Richard just made, and, and mostly on what Don selected to highlight from the study you, you were part of. Talk to me. Um, uh, yeah, there will be the banks will have to invest a lot in uh, IT because of regulatory requirements, so they have to do reporting much faster, and they have to invest, on the other hand, also in new consumer experiences. Uh, those investments may be, they may overlap a little bit, but they're fairly, they're somewhat independent. They don't overlap completely. There is uh, some overlap, but there are different investments to regulatory requirements and the consumer experience. When I was communicating with a couple of the big banks here in New York for that report, I had the following uh, impression, fairly strong impression, that they were aware that the investments they had to do because of regulatory requirements, and they are going to do that. They have to do it, so they they are going to do it, but they are not really worried about that. About the consumer experience and the investments they have to do there, and also the operational risk involved there, that uh, uh, made that some hacker may come in or something may happen, that keeps them awake at night. Are they doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. Are they? Uh, what are their vulnerabilities? They don't understand that part that well. So that particular investment for the, on the consumer side, that really uh, is um, a, a different investment than the investments they have to do for the for the regular uh, to keep the regulators happy. Thank you, Mike. Guess what? You've all earned a break. We're going to go out for about 90 seconds. When we come back, Richard Fleming, Mike Pineda, Don Trotter, you're all going to have your crystal ball in front of you. I know you got it out of the closet or the boat shed or the trunk of the car or the attic during the first break, and I know you've polished it off, and I'm going to ask the three of you to take a look ahead to the year 2020 or tell me a different time frame you can see clearly and let me know what will we be talking about at that future point in time about our topic banks embracing technology or is it happening fast enough for the regulators and let's add on to that how are banks coping with this new social mobile world and the need to give a great customer experience it's a big question so guys go out and take a look at the crystal ball when we come back i think we'll have about two minutes apiece don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial we'll be right back brad out The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. 
The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. My panel had about 90 seconds to go refresh themselves and look into the crystal ball. So let's kick off this part of the roundtable with Richard Fleming at Bain & Company in New York. Richard, crystal ball, can you take me up to the year 2020 or do you have another time in mind? I think 2020 is a, a good year. It's always a little difficult to to forecast exact time periods and um, exactly what's going to happen. I think banks are going to increasingly look like two businesses. I think there's the industrial platform business that Don referred to earlier in the conversation. It's one that is uh, the manager of a very large balance sheet. It is a regulated, a highly regulated business uh, with compliance needs. It has industrial processes and the underlying building blocks of industrial products for for customers. And then there's a, and, and that business is a business that you know, you invest in a little bit like an infrastructure company. You invest in it uh, like a bond. In fact, it, it returns a fairly consistent return and. It has, uh, you know, long-term big bet investments that, that you make in it. I think on, on top of that, and they may be within the same institution, there is more of a service company, one that is innovating very quickly, is very oriented around the customer, is increasingly embracing disruptors from outside who actually want to come onto the platform to deliver a very different experience for customers. And if banks are to maintain the returns that they've been used to over you know, the past decades, they need to increase the rate of innovation and to increase the returns through the experience that they can provide to, to customers through this service company. I think the way that banking in the local market works will, will feel very different. I think the, the mobile device is an incredibly important part of banking of the future. And one way to look at this is the way that banking might um, evolve in emerging markets. And I think it's conceivable that very quickly banks will be giving away mobile phones with the bank on on a mobile phone in emerging markets to expand rather than build branches. But that's not to say that consumers still don't want human interaction and they don't want physical interaction. And so I don't think the branch disappears. I think there could be 40, 50 percent fewer branches in the future. But uh, and you can look at the telecoms industry, for instance, and the way they've reduce the number of stores that they have and the way their stores have changed from servicing customers and allowing you to pay your bill to one that you know, sells devices and helps you understand how to get the most out of your device. 
and banks may go the same way, but people still want to look into the whites of somebody's eye and to have a physical interaction sometimes, particularly when things get more complicated or, or more difficult in their life. And overall, I think, therefore, the, the news for consumers is great. Um, they should expect a very different experience. They should expect banking to be easier, more convenient, and something that they can do in the, the queue when they're queuing up for their flat white in the morning in New York. There you go. Good wrap-up. I love that. Richard Fleming, thank you. Mike Pineda, you have two minutes on the clock. Predictions, go. Well, let me tell you the questions I have in my mind. We heard last week or a couple of days ago that HP was going to split itself up into two Mm -hmm. big companies that really didn't have much to do with one another. They had something to do, but not much. I never really understood why the big money center banks, that retail banking, commercial banking, investment banking, are under one roof. And um, I really wonder, is one of those big banks, are they going to split up and say, hey, listen, the retail banking, those are completely different people than uh, than uh, the investment banking and the trading guys and, uh, and the Merrill Lynch part of BNA. Uh, should we uh, uh, should we split them off? They already have already competitors in particular branches like uh, BlackRock that competes very very nicely with certain parts of the money center banks. Uh, so I do think that banking may become uh, they may become more specialized because there mm-hmm. is an, an additional layer there there that may give some protection, but that's also very, very costly by having everything under one roof. So it's not clear to me if that's going to continue like that. Okay. Thank you very much. Don Trotta, I saved two minutes for you. Exactly what do you see in the crystal ball, Don? Well, you know, I, what I'd say is, is and I'd, I'd pick up uh, one of the CEOs of a major bank, Anthony Jenkins from, from Barclays, who I know for a long time from my days at uh, Barclays, but also City. He was recently quoted saying, "We're on the leading edge of a technology revolution. You could see it's coming. It's coming hard and it's coming fast." And he made made a point that people who use mobile banking services now use them on average 24 times a month, compared with less than two branch visits a month. So, so I, so the point is that technology innovation is changing the banking industry really dramatically, and the banks need to respond much more quickly now and, and at scale. And that, that's what I think will happen, needs to happen between now and 2020. You know, um, uh, you know so, and, and I, I think the role of branches uh, will not go away, uh, as, as, as Richard pointed out. Uh, or, but, but what branches are used for? I think uh, a couple of the banks, and I've uh, experienced it myself, are trying to transform uh, some of their big branches in, in high-traffic areas to be more like the retail experience that people have with the Apple Store, the Nike Store, almost as a destination. So I think you'll see more of that in all of the transactions digitally now, end-to-end, uh, will not need those, those kinds of uh, you know, uh, points of presence. So, so where do I see it going is banks will become a digital business for the most part. They will be industrialized, as we said, in terms of uh, thinking about the back end, the middle office, and the front end, and, and figuring out what do they need to own and what differentiates them versus what uh, they can take off of their plate and let someone else do for them. And I think they will become real-time uh, and digital, uh, and, and, and everything will happen 
uh, with customers in real time. So. Thank you, Don. Great, great predictions from the entire panel. I want to thank all of you, Richard Fleming at Bain & Company, Mike Pinedo at NYU, Stern School of Business, Don Trotta at SAP, all in New York, as I am. I have to do a shout-out to Birgit Dolny at SAP, who helped assemble this marvelous panel and came up with the topic in the abstract. Birgit, this was a winner. Thank you so much. Malcolm Kimberlin, my co-producer who supports SAP Radio, and I have to tell you, Malcolm is drinking his Phil's coffee. He says it's a cup of love, hot as coals and black as a moon. Moonless night. There you go. Uh, I have to tell you that what's today? Wednesday, my goodness. This afternoon, I'll be back at 3 p.m. Eastern with the Customer Edge with Game Changers. Tomorrow is Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern. I'll be on with the Future of Business with Game Changers. Now in Season 2, and then we start all over again next Monday with HR Trends with Game Changers. And what can I tell you? A lot of game changing going on. Uh, Thank you again to my panel, Richard, Mike, and Don. I hope you all enjoy a gorgeous day drinking whatever you please in New York. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.